We're thankful who all who have made it this morning and pray that the things that are studied here this morning with you guys and the congregation here will be uplifting and growing our knowledge for uh, Christ and his desire for us. If you have your Bibles in front of you, please open it to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. We're going to be studying um, through verses 9 through 20 this morning. And we're going to be studying about some difficult topics, um, mainly um, the topic of sexual immorality and how the Bible teaches us how to deal with that. My aim is to go through this study uh, through God's Word in a way that is appropriate for the assembly this morning, for everybody here. I, and please don't be alarmed. I'm going to do my best to make sure that things we talk about are appropriate this morning. And when we mention uh, sexuality or homosexuality and sexual immorality in the church, sometimes we're afraid to uh, address these topics because of maybe how we have heard them addressed in the past or maybe not heard them addressed at all. But we're going to be walking through some and talking about some biblical foundations that we can find in 1 Corinthians 6. And my aim is to uh, equip all of us, including myself, um, to, to show us how to love each other in the church, how to love each other in the community that we're in, those that we may come in contact with outside of the church that may be uh, struggling with some of these things that we're going to be talking about. And when we talk to each other about these things, we need to remember the most foundational thing when we talk about these things, and that is that we are not each other's enemies. We have an adversary that is always trying to uh, change our mind, who is trying to pull every one of us, every single person around us, away from God's good design for our bodies. So let's get into our study. We're tempted to think that, you know, we may be living in unique days with unique challenges regarding um, sexuality, but we only think that way because we don't really uh, sometimes realize or understand what was happening in Corinth 2,000 years ago. In the first century, uh, when the book of 1 Corinthians was written, the city was known for um, rampant sexual immorality, confusion, and deception. And uh, there was even the temple of Aphrodite there in, in Corinth where every night a thousand prostitutes would come down into the city to work their trade. Corinth was a culture where anything goes. Basically indulge your body however you desire. And in 1 Corinthians 6, God gives us one of the most comprehensive passages in the Bible about our bodies and sexuality. So let's listen and read verse, uh, 1 Corinthians 6, beginning in verse 9. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice, practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, 
but I will not be dominated by anything. Food is meant for the stomach, and stomach is meant for the food. And God will destroy both one and the other. The body is meant for sexual the body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. And if we um, this is the first two times in our passage that we're going to see the word body here uh, that, that's referenced. And I want, if you want to, you can either circle in your Bible or just make note of it every time that we see um, the word body or bodies mentioned here. So we've already seen it two times. So if we keep reading, it says, And God raised the Lord and will also raise up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. But who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body. But the sexually immoral person sins against his own body or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you whom you have from God you are not your own for you were bought with a price so glorify God in your body that's about eight times that the word body or bodies is, is mentioned in that passage and that's significant because there's a lot of different messages that we get from a lot of different sources in the world today about our bodies and how we're to view them or use them. And while we hear these messages from the world, we need to desperately hear from God's word on how he uh, wants us to uh, treat our bodies according to him. That is what is God is telling us. This is what he's telling us about our bodies. First point I want to make, your body was created by God for his glory and for your earthly and eternal good. Every word in that statement matters. Your body, our, our body right now, that was, it was created for God, for his glory, and for our eternal and earthly good. Our body was created by God. If we go back to uh, verse 13 here in our passage, in many ways this kind of is the foundation because this is how the Corinthians thought. In verse uh, 13, we see a phrase here that is, that was common in that day, and that is, you know, food is meant for the stomach, and stomach meant for the food. And when the people used this phrase in, in Corinth, it was the implication that the body was made for uh, sexual activity, and sexual activity was made for the body. That's what the Corinthians' idea was at that time. But God is saying, no, the body is made for the Lord, and the Lord is for the body. And I want us to think about both sides of what God is saying here. First in Corinthians uh, 6.13, to say that the body is for the Lord is a very different starting point than every other message that we hear from today. What we hear in the world and the way we're, that we're prone to think, it's very different. We're driven today by whatever can bring us or our bodies the most pleasure. What we can see, we touch, do, eat listen to or engage in. We are drowning in a culture that shouts at every turn, please your own body. That's what our culture tells us. 
But the Bible says it every time to please God in all that we do. So please yourself however you want to please yourself or please God. That's the fundamental question we need to ask ourselves. What, what's our ultimate aim for our bodies? Are we going to live in self-gratification for our bodies? Or are we going to live in God-glorification with our bodies? That's the fundamental question. What it says here in the next part of the passage is so awesome. God says here, your body is for me and I am for your body. God says, I, the Lord, am for your body. The Bible isn't saying your body is for God, so just do whatever he says. Make your body miserable. It doesn't matter because it's really not about you. It's about him. That's not what it's saying here. The Bible is saying, yes, your body is for God. And the good news is, God is for your body. We're talking about the, the uh, God who created our body in the first place is for our body. So we go all the way back up, you know, we want to back up all the way to the beginning of the Bible where we realize that God is the one who came up with the concept of our bodies. He designed it. And he designed it in a way that would bring us pleasure. And if we think about it, you know, God created us with eyes so we could see beauty all around us. He created us with ears so we could hear music. He made us with taste that we may enjoy the flavors. God created us with skin so we might experience touch. He made us with faculties so we could communicate with one another. So we might have a relationship with one another. Unlike any other, anything else in creation. He did that. He didn't have to, but he did. Your body has been created, formed and fashioned by God himself in his images. As, first, uh, as Genesis 1.27 says, for his glory and for your good on this earth. So it's important to realize God is not against our bodies. God isn't even indifferent toward our body, which is really important. A lot of the Corinthians, um, the Christian Corinthians, just like maybe many of us today, were tempted to think that, well, God cares only about my spiritual life. He doesn't, he doesn't care about my physical body. And they, and they start to compartmentalize um, just like we can compartmentalize and separate our spiritual life over here from our physical life over there. And the Bible says that's impossible. You cannot separate the two. God is the one who designed your physical life, your body, for your good on this earth right now. And if we don't believe that God is for our body, then we will inevitably buy into all kinds of lies that Satan tells us about our bodies. We will question if God knew what he was doing when he made us this way or that way, with this disability or with that desire. We'll question if God knew what he was doing when he made you as a male or a female. We'll question why God would say, don't do this with your body. And in that process, we'll justify going against what God has said. And why is that? Because at the, at the root, at the very root, we are all prone to forget that God is for us and not against us. We think about it. You know, the all-wise, all-loving creator of the universe, universe formed our body. And God knows better than any one of us 
or anyone else in this world what is best for our bodies. But, you know, we live in a, in a world and in a culture where the mantra is, nobody can tell me what to do with my own body. This is mine. I can do whatever I want with my body. And that is the essence of sin, pride and arrogance, where we can say, God, I know better than you what is good for my body. Don't say that. Don't have that thought. The God who is for your body, he is for us. If you question this, we'll live in all kinds of confusion and deception. You know, the God who formed you is for you. God knows the way, not just how to satisfy your soul, but to satisfy our bodies. And we don't want to... Um, uh, you know, if we look at verse 14, God has made an eternal investment in our body. In verse 14, it says, uh, it's talking about, um, yeah, God raised the Lord Jesus from the dead and will also raise us up by his power. This is talking about God. He raised Jesus from the dead and God is going to be raising up our bodies from the dead. And that's what I mean when I, when I say that the first truth about our body was created for God in his glory and for our earthly and eternal good. He's not just, it's not just for his glory, not just for our earthly good, but for our earthly or our eternal good. God doesn't just love you enough to save your soul from sin. God loves us so much that he wants to redeem your body for eternity. He wants to, to raise up and restore your body that will be something that will be incorruptible forever. This is what 1 Corinthians is all, uh, 15 is all about. If you want to turn to 1 Corinthians 15, uh, the whole argument with first, uh, the Corinthians was that, well, just live to fulfill our bodily pleasures in this life, which is temporary. Then, then our souls will uh, go on to eternal life, and we'll, just have, we'll have the best of both worlds. We'll be able to please our bodies in here, and then we'll have eternal life. And, you know, sometimes we tend to do that, you know. And some of the... Uh, world today or sometimes the church settings you know we we separate the two and we cannot do that we've created a whole version sometimes of christianity where we see our souls as sealed in heaven but we go on living for the temporary pleasures of our bodies however we want to on this earth and we're okay with it as long as we still get to heaven but that is not christianity that goes totally against the bible and in first corinthians 15 paul is saying listen I, I'm laying down my own body. I die every day. I'm missing out on a lot in this world, but I believe and trust that God is for me and know that one day he's going to raise up this body just like he did with Jesus. In 1 Corinthians 15, uh, beginning in verse 51, it says there, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body, body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on the immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. God in his power raised the body of Jesus from a tomb. 
And one day, he's going to be raising our bodies as well. And when we look at 1 Corinthians 15, God not only created our body for earth, earthly good, but he, he created it for eternal good as well. So if we put all this together, if our body has this identity that we've been molded and personally by the hands of the creator who loves us so much, and if our body has the destiny you know, of, of to thrive forever redeemed one of these days with God, then why would we trust ourselves or anyone else with our bodies more than God? God is worthy of trust with our bodies. The problem, though, is we tend to not believe this sometimes. We've all said, God, I know what's better for my body than you do. All of us have. Which leads to our second point here, our second truth. In this broken world, we all have broken bodies. In this broken world, we all have broken bodies. And before I show you this in 1 Corinthians, I want to go all the way back to the beginning of the Bible. The first sin in the world started with man and woman using their bodies outside of God's good design for them in Genesis 3. God said, do not what? Do not eat from a particular tree. Do not satisfy the physical craving of your body in this way. However, that physical desire, well, first of all, God created us with, with the physical desire for food. He created that. We have the desire for food, which is good. It's part of good, God's good design for our bodies. But that physical desire could lead them to fulfill that desire outside of God's design, which was not good. So God told them, here's a good way to fulfill your physical desires. Eat from, enjoy all the fruit from all these things over here. But God also taught them that there's a harmful way to fulfill their desires. He said, do not eat from this tree. He gave them the design from the beginning of the Bible before sin had even entered the world. God had given man and woman physical desires that were intended to be fulfilled in specific certain ways. And I want to say that one more time so we don't miss it. Before sin even entered the world, God had given people physical desires that were intended to be fulfilled in certain ways and not to fulfilled in other ways. And what happens in Genesis chapter 3 is man and woman decide to fulfill those desires in ways contrary to God's design. And the result was brokenness. Brokenness between man and woman and their relationship with God. Brokenness between man and woman in their relationship with each other. Brokenness between man and woman and the uh, the world around them in ways that would not just affect them, but now affects all of us, including you and I. We live in a world that has been broken by sin, which affects each of us in all kinds of ways, but not all in the same way. So let me just list some of the ways our bodies are broken in this world. Fundamentally, we live in a world of weakness and disability in, in our bodies. There's many people whose bodies don't function the way that they should in different ways. And everybody, person's body, everybody's body will eventually wear out one of these days. And if we look at the picture of brokenness a, a step deeper in light of sexuality in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, some have physical desires for opposite sex. That leads us to think that 
think thoughts about others, have desires for others, or do things with others that are not pleasing to God according to his word. Some have physical desires for the same sex that leads us to think or desire or do things that are not pleasing to God. Some have questions about the way God made them sexually to the point where people sometimes feel like they don't fit or belong in their own bodies. Some of, body, some, some of our bodies have significant struggles. Even when it comes to sexual disability, infertility, abnormalities, or cancer. And during all of this, each of us, all of us, all of us are prone to fulfill physical desires we have in ways that are contrary to God's word. All of us have at some point in many ways, whether in the past or the present, have sought to fulfill those physical desires in ways that are contrary to God's word. In addition to that, some of us have been physically hurt, abused, and or broken by people who have done things to our bodies contrary to God's word. We could go on and on and on, but the point is that each of us are very different. Our experiences, even some of our desires are different. There are even different degrees to which we have uh, experienced brokenness in this world. But in the end, we are living in a broken world. We all have broken bodies in ways that significantly affect all of us. Some of the realities of bodily sin. Bodily sin harms inevitably. In 1 Corinthians 6, the Bible is showing us how bodily sin specifically harms us. Sin we carry out with our bodies or sin that someone else carries out against our bodies. In 1 Corinthians 6, in, in verse 12 of our passage, some of the Corinthians, Corinthians saw no harm in practicing prostitution. All things are, are, all things are lawful. It says, but God is asking, is it helpful? Is it helpful to your body and helpful to others' bodies? Just because something is allowed or you're able to do something with your body does not mean it's helpful for your body. Bodily sin is not helpful to you or others. It is harmful to you and others. Bodily sin controls quickly. God says, all things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. They're thinking in Corinth, you know, all things are lawful. But God says, no, just because you can, be careful, be warned. You can be controlled by these things so quickly. Bodily sin can control so quickly. An example of that, you know, if you remember back in Genesis 25, Esau gave his birth right away for what? For a bowl of soup. He was so hungry, he would give away his birthright for a bowl of soup. Bodily impulses can, can cause you and I to do extremely foolish things in an instant that can lead to consequences that last for a lifetime. Bodily sin controls quickly, which needs, leads to the next point. Bodily sin devastates painfully. This is what verse 16 and 17 are talking about. The Bible is specifically saying that sexual immorality unites you and another person, affecting all in a way that's different from any other sin we can read about. Verse 18 says, 
Every other sin a person commits is outside the body. But notice the comparison here. But the sexual, sexually immoral person sins against his own body. The, the, the Bible here is saying don't underestimate at all the effect of bodily sin, particularly sexual sin. It destroys lives. It breaks marriages. Shatters homes and kids. Causes heartache and hurt and pain. And it leads to all sorts of other sins. Lying, stealing, cheating, bitterness, hatred, slander, gossip, unforgiveness, even murder. We think about David in the Old Testament who in a moment of physical desire sinned with Bathsheba in a way that eventually led to the murder of Uriah to the death of a baby and a sword that would never depart from David's house. David's life and the life of so many others were devastated as a result of one moment. Bodily sin devastates painfully and ultimately bodily sin condemns eternally. If we look back at uh, verses 9 through 10 in our passage, what is God saying here? God says, or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Obviously, bodily sin is addressed here in many different ways, but I don't want us to miss the overall language here pertaining to all these ways. Those who sin, who go outside of God's design for our bodies, will not inherit the kingdom of God. It says it twice in this passage, will not inherit the kingdom of God. How we use our bodies on earth affects our lives for eternity. So if we put all this together, it's not a very good picture of our bodies. It started out good at the beginning of the Bible, but it is not good. Here's a picture of clay in a potter's hand. You and I were created, formed, and fashioned by God himself in his image, fearfully and wonderfully made. All of us, without any exception, were made perfect by God. Yet all of us have chosen to sin against God with our bodies. Many of us have been sinned against in our bodies by others. Some of us have. Whether it's sin we've committed or sin that's been committed against us, we have seen the effects we can just read about in the Bible. We have seen how, the body, how bodily sin harms inevitably, in many cases controls so quickly, devastates painfully, and ultimately condemns eternally that which was beautifully designed by God. And that's the problem with all of our bodies. And that's the picture. It's really clear with clay when we think about it. As beautiful as clay is, it breaks. It's brittle. This is a picture of every one of our lives in this broken world. All of us, without exception, have broken bodies and the evidence which is scattered all over our lives. If we think about it, it's pain and hurt 
that seems like won't ever go away in some of our lives. Maybe it's guilt from the past that we can't ever shake. Maybe it's struggles in the present that we can't ever seem to escape. It's questions like, why do I always go back to this temptation over and over and over again? Or maybe it's confusion about why God would even allow us to have these desires. Why won't God take this desire away from me? Why do I have this? Why is he doing this to me? I have this desire that nobody else can understand. Or maybe it's a constant battle with unfulfilled desire. In so many different ways. Broken hearts. Broken relationships. Broken marriages. And then ultimately, broken bodies. This is our reality in this broken world, is we all are susceptible to these broken things that we can deal with. So, is there any hope for people with broken bodies in a broken world? And I am here to say, yes, there is hope. Number three, Jesus gave his body to make your body new. Jesus gave his body to make your body new. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 11. And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Such were some of you. You were. You, you were this, but something changed. Something happened. You were washed. Take, Jesus takes that which is dirty and he makes it clean. He washes. You were sanctified. That word means made holy. To be made holy. You were justified. That word means declared not guilty. Justified. How is it possible for the dirty to be made clean? How is it possible for the guilty to be made innocent or the broken to be made whole? It is only possible in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God, as it says here. We might run into someone who might say, what's so special about Jesus? A big deal. It's Jesus. What can he do? How can, what makes him the only one who can make my body new? What, can I just figure this out on my own or go this route or that route? Look at verse 19. Here's what makes Jesus uniquely able to make your body new. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. Here's why Jesus is the only one is a hope for a broken body made new. The heart and core of the Bible is that God comes to this broken world in the body of Jesus. God in the flesh, God in the body. Jesus, God in a body, living perfectly among us, never once sinning in his body. And as a result, he never deserved to experience the penalty of sin, which is death, bodily, physical death. Yet he chose to die on a cross. Why? 
to pay the price for the sins of everybody who obeys his gospel of salvation and lives for him. He paid the price for sin on a cross. Then he physically rose from the dead in victory over sin, his body walking around alive so that anybody who trusts in Jesus as a son of God and is baptized will be forgiven of all your sin and filled with his Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God living in us. Some might, you know, tend to think, you know, what, what do I do with all these desires that still might remain even if we choose this path of Christianity? Is this just a life of unfulfilled, uh, you know, daily desires that I'm going to have? Well, Jesus came to give you life to the fullest by the power of his spirit in you, knowing that one day when your body wears out and dies, you will ultimately live with a fully redeemed, fully restored, completely new body that is free from all sin, free from all suffering, free from all unholy desire, free to experience the full pleasure of God that he has designed for your body for the next 10 billion years and beyond. So I want to urge all of us today, if we have never trusted in Jesus today, we can be washed, sanctified, justified before God by him through faith, repentance, confession, and baptism. Baptism. And for all of us who believed and obey and are Christians and obey, obey Christ, I want to remind all of us today that this, in this world with all our broken bodies and broken world, Jesus has bought your body on a cross. He has filled your body with his Holy Spirit. He is committed to bringing healing amidst your hurt. He is committed to bringing victory in your struggles. Jesus loves all of us and is committed to giving us everything we need to keep experiencing earthly and eternal good as we glorify God in our body. If only we will trust in him, looking to him, leaning on him, believing that he is making and will make your body new. Now I know, I know that Satan gets in our heads sometimes and tempts us and he says, don't, don't believe all this stuff. You know, don't, healing, you know, victory made new, really? You think you guys can get all that? That's what Satan tries to tempt us with and tell us sometimes. Just look at all these, look at all these broken pieces up here. And some of us think, I am broken beyond repair. Some deal with those struggles. So if we start to take these pieces and say, you know, I'm going to try to put them back together. But if we start trying to piece things back together, the reality is, you know, there are still breaks and gaps. Satan tries to tell us that we are too broken. I know that, that Satan tells some, us some of those things right now. But I want us to know that we are not broken beyond repair. None of us are. I want to give us another picture. There is a Japanese art form called kintsugi, which means golden joinery. It is a form of art that takes broken pottery and puts the broken pieces back together. But instead of hiding the cracks and the broken pieces, they actually fill those breaks and gaps with gold. The whole idea is that the artist intentionally takes something that was broken and instead of seeing those breaks as something to hide or disguise and pretend like they're not there, 
The artist fills those breaks with gold. In turn, in the process, he turns it into an entirely new piece of pottery. That which is beautiful in a completely different way and stunning way. Where once there were breaks, there is now beauty. And in this picture, I want you to see and believe that the master artist, the God who formed you, the God who formed us, is able to do this with our broken lives. I'm not saying it's easy, of course, or maybe it takes a long time. What I'm saying is the Bible is saying that which is, uh, uh, that's the reason Jesus came. That's why he came here. To give his body to make our body new in a way that takes your brokenness and my brokenness and makes us beautiful. Not with gold. But with something much more precious than gold. The blood of Jesus Christ. He has the power to make your body glorious no matter what your past is or your present. This is what God's desire for your future is. So I want to invite all of you to believe that Jesus died on a cross to save us from sin. That's why he died. He rose from the dead in victory over sin so that today we can follow him as a Savior and Lord of our life. God will make you new. He will wash you, sanctify you, and justify you in the name of Jesus. If only we will submit to him, to the gospel of to gospel plan of salvation, to believe, to change of our old ways, to submit to God's instruction, confess the name of Christ as the Son of God and be baptized in order to have your sins washed clean. If you're a Christian and have obeyed that gospel but have sin, sinned against your body that needs a public confession in any way, please come while we stand and while we see. We thank you for listening to our podcast put on by the Church of Christ at 2215 Plans Road in Bakersfield. If you would like any additional information or you would like to receive a free Bible correspondence course by mail, please email us at info at churchofchristbakersfield.com. Our service times are Sundays at 10.30 a.m. and 5 p.m. and Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. Please make plans to join us. We would love for you to be our honored guest.